Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to It's It's a Mystery mystery for me. Me. Welcome back to another new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Norma is back safely from Arizona. By the grace of God. Right. That plane situation was insane. Yeah. How many delays did you go through mm. while sitting at the airport? Well, at the airport, at least six. Can you imagine? I just know people were calling up the airlines and stuff, just asking for a refund, because Mm -hmm. that is crazy. Not only did they delay your flight, they changed planes, they changed crews, they Mm -hmm. changed gates. Yeah, several times. Several times. And it's not just like, oh, like, you're moving from gate one to eight on the same side, completely opposite side of the airport. Like That's insane. Like, how do you even have time to eat, even though at this point... I mean, your flight was delayed like eight or nine hours, right? Yeah. Something like that. So I can't imagine getting to the airport and being like, all right, it's fine. I'm, I'm just going to get on the plane. I'll eat snacks on the plane and then I'll, you know, be home in no time versus like, right. actually, I have to eat. Actually, do I have time to eat? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, they're holding me on the plane. Are they going to let us off? Okay, they let us off. Wait, the gate changed. I can't eat. Okay, wait. Yeah. Um, all right, let me get to the gate. All right, I can eat. No, they changed it again. Wait a minute. Because <laughs> that the, must have been crazy. It was so crazy. And it's just like the time change. Think about it this way. Like, it was like maybe a 40-minute difference. So by the time you're walking from this gate to the next gate, you have about 20 minutes. That's not enough time to be like, you know what? I'm going to wait on the sign and order food. Right. It's not. So. So you eventually was, get home and yeah. it's Tuesday at like 530 <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. Versus I was supposed to pick you up at around nine o'clock mm-hmm. on Monday. Yeah. So that's insane. But. You're back and you're hosting. Yeah. Again. Mm-hmm. I could get used to this. I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm sure you can. We got a lot of comments about our last episode. I saw. And the twist and all of that. People were really just, everybody was on the roller coaster ride with us the entire time. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a case like that in a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah, it definitely caught me off guard, too. Yeah. I like to think of it as these cases find me. Because for real, I don't even know how I stumbled across it. I just did. Right. It's very random. Wow. And same thing goes for today's episode. Oh, wow. The case came to you, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Every time. All right. So let's get to it, then. (laughs) So for today's episode, I watched a TV One show, and for this particular episode, it was based in Maryland. I also looked at a few articles published by NBC News, CBS News, local news articles, and a Sheriff County's office official website. Okay, nice. For more of today's sources, go ahead and check out our website, it's themysteryforme.com, or click the link in today's show notes. Today's story takes us back to 2009 in Coxville, Maryland. This is a case of Jeriel Foster. So I couldn't find Jeriel's date of birth, but in 2009, she would have been about 22 or 23 years old. Her family describes her as fun, loving, life of the party. She really loved to dance and go out with friends. Super ambitious. She enjoyed doing hair. She was in beauty school at the time. Mm. She was very into clothing. She loved clothes, putting together different outfits, and that actually landed her 
as a manager for a clothing boutique. She was 5'2 and slim, but she looks like a model, her mom said. And wherever she went to, she just commanded the room. She got a lot of male attention. Go girl. Everyone wanted her number. Everyone wanted to get to know her, just be around her. So she was handing out neck braces because she was breaking necks? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2005, on the way to beauty school... She met 25-year-old Frederick Christian, and he lived on her block. She was 18 at the time. And he was just trying to talk to her. And she wasn't having it. But eventually, she gave in. And she really liked that Frederick was a go-getter. He would buy old cars, and he would fix them up and resell them. We love go-getters over here. (laughs) And two years into their relationship, they welcomed a daughter. In 2009, they, together with their two-year-old daughter, moved to a complex in Coxville, Maryland. And Frederick was a natural at being a father. He really loved it. And so they came up with an arrangement where she would work as a manager at this boutique, and he would stay home for most of the day and just basically babysit their daughter. And that seemed to work for a while until Thanksgiving Day of 2009 when everything changed. Jerry L was scheduled to work, but you know, this is 2009. I don't think they were necessarily closing down stores in 2009 no. on Thanksgiving Day, right? I feel like that started like recently, mid 2010s, late 2010s. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to close stores on Thanksgiving. It's a holiday. Yeah. Like, if not, people be just trampling each other at yeah. Best Buy and all kinds of stuff. It's just chaotic energy. Mm hmm. I don't like chaotic energy. How about y'all? Do y'all be going to the Black Friday sales? Or I used to love it. Oh my goodness. I would go with mom. That's true. You would. <laughs> and we were really like, we went in. Like You guys was, would go to Kohl's. You yeah. guys, where else did you go? Best Buy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Macy's. This, this is before you could order things online. Yes. So it was back in the day. Like wow. I'm thinking like 2010s, what early. time to be alive. Yeah. So it just made me think about that, like her work day. So Derek ended up taking their daughter to um, Jerry L's mother. Her name is Tony. And he went there for a few hours and her family was over. He left around 2 p.m., he said, to go to his cousin's house, which I mean, it's Thanksgiving day. I would think like you would want to spend the day with your family, this side of your family, that side of your family. So that just seemed to be the case here. So he asked Tony to watch their daughter while he did this, and she agreed. Jerry L was supposed to come over after work. We're closed around 5 p.m. It is now after 5 p.m., and her mom is just wondering like where she is because she's thinking, okay, she's not here, so did she stop over at her dad's side of the family first? And it made me think of you. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I'd be doing that every year and that. pissing off my mom. Mm-hmm. But I gotta see my dad's side too. Damn, mom. Yeah, we love them too. Yeah. Um, but that's literally what her mom was thinking. Like, oh, okay, so she went that side first. Wait, okay. so I have a question, clarifying question. Mm-hmm. So she was working on like Thanksgiving Day itself, not yes. like Black Friday, because no. I was talking about Black Friday. Mm-hmm. So, okay. It was Thanksgiving Day itself. And it- I didn't know, like, clothing stores were open on thanksgiving days usually like supermarkets is what i'm used to like being open yeah so that's kind of strange that it was open on thanksgiving day mm-hmm. i don't know i mean they closed early 5 p.m still, still yeah it's not like it's christmas day and you're trying to get a gift for somebody and even then christmas day clo- stores are always closed yeah but it's just odd that like a clothing store is open on thanksgiving yeah, but I just figured, like, it has to be the time. It's 2009. Things I are guess. different. I don't know. So her mom tries to call Jeriel, but she doesn't answer. So she calls her cousin, Danica. And she answers, and she says, Jeriel isn't here. She never stopped by. And at this point, it's probably around, like, 8 o'clock at night. Her mom, Tony, is very concerned. So she actually convinces her cousin to go over to Jeriel's home well her apartment complex and just see if she's there and her two cousins end up doing that and they notice that a window is cracked open 
So they're able to go through the window. They're very nervous at this point because like the lights are off. They don't know what is going on. They don't know like if they're gonna find something weird in the apartment. Does she um, have a car? So I think she does have a car that she shares with Frederick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I'm wondering if they, when they got there, if they like looked for her car and maybe right. that's why they were nervous, but I guess they're nervous cause they're like, okay, the window's cracked. And yeah. I, and it's not the norm for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's my impression that they share a car. Okay. So they go into the apartment and they don't notice that anything is like rearranged. There's nothing that's off. Okay. And so they tell Tony this, um, Jeriel's mother, and she's still not convinced. She just feels that there's something off. There's something wrong. This is very out of character for her. And especially like on Thanksgiving Day. She wouldn't just disappear. And miss the food, like... Right, and just, like, miss the food and, like, spending time with her family. She just wouldn't do that. Mm. And so her mom ends up leaving, and on her way to Jeriel's apartment, she calls 911 and tells them, hey, my daughter, I believe, is missing. And so by the time that she gets to the apartment, I'm not sure, like, how far it is from where she lives, but by the time she gets there, cops are already there. And she gives them a statement, basically tells them, you know, this is really out of character for her daughter. She wouldn't just like up and leave. And Jerry L especially would not just leave her daughter behind and not say where she was going. Mm. Ironically, Frederick ends up pulling into the apartment complex minutes later. And he's a little stunned to see all these cops outside of the apartment. He's like, what's going on? He tells them that he's coming from his cousin's house. Um... And this is after 8 p.m. So when they asked him about Jeriel's whereabouts, he basically tells them, you know, honestly, I haven't seen her since yesterday. Thanksgiving Day was the 26th. So he hadn't seen her since the day before on the 25th. Wait a minute. Her man hadn't seen her? Yeah. So let me get into those details. Okay. So he tells cops that Jeriel likes to go out a lot. And on Tuesday night, that was her plan. And he said that he can even corroborate this story with maintenance if needed because maintenance came over Tuesday morning and she was there. And while maintenance was there, they were having a conversation. She was telling him like, okay, like just letting you know, like after work, I do have plans to go out with friends. He made it seem like this is, that this is very common. Detectives just take that for what it is. And then he also adds in the fact that he was ambushed about six, seven months ago, um, beaten the shit out of and thrown into her trunk. So he describes a car as being Jerry L's car. That's why I'm saying like, I assume mm. like they share a car. Cause he was like, yeah, I was thrown into the back of her trunk. Cops are wondering, okay, why would that happen to you? And he admits to being a drug dealer on the side of flipping cars. Oh, no. So he's not a go-getter. He a drug dealer and a go-getter. No. But apparently, Jeriel does not know about this separate lifestyle going on. Oh. Mm -hmm. So he said that he believed it to be rival drug dealers. And he even filed a report after the whole incident. But nothing ever came of that now do you think it's weird that he mentions this to the cops the story from a few months ago um i didn't think so because if it's information that he feels is important to helping them find her and the way that he made it seem is as though he's concerned that these people could be targeting his family Okay. And so I think this situation happening out of the blue, it just made his mind go to like, oh my gosh, that one time I was attacked out of the blue. Like, what if that's connected? Right. I don't know. I agree. I was just thinking about it. And I think I also would offer up information like that. If something Mm -hmm. like that happened or something was awry, Mm -hmm. I think I would think of like whatever had happened recently that's like very random Mm -hmm. and I felt like could be connected I probably probably even as a lawyer (laughs) well I hope I mean I don't know hopefully I'm never in this situation but I feel like I would just have like 
word vomit and be like, by the way, the other day, but... Right. I don't know. Maybe my lawyer instinct would, like, kick in and I'd be like, let me hold this to the chest. But mm-hmm. I guess the other side of it is, like, you're human and if you're really concerned that something happened to your loved one, mm-hmm. your natural instinct might be to just be like, by the way, this other weird thing happened. Mm-hmm. It might be connected. And I think that that's was the case here. Yeah. So detectives take all this information into account and they start digging immediately. They start with Jeriel's close friends who also happen to be her co-workers. And they said that Jeriel worked hard and she played hard. And they would often go clubbing or they described it as dancing together. And they recently noticed that she definitely had some sort of relationship with one of their co-workers, Teron Gibson, that they saw them dancing very closely. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And so from that, rumors started flying that they were sleeping with each other. Hmm. Detectives now want to track down Teron Gibson, and they do. So when they talk to him, he claims that the last time he saw her was three nights ago. So at this point, it is November 27th. So three nights ago would have been the 24th of November, 2009. And they were closing the store down together. The first thing that they did was deposit whatever money they had from that day Mm -hmm. into an ATM. And then she ended up driving him to the bus station. Detectives now plan to get security footage to make sure that like, okay, you guys actually went to the ATM. You guys actually went to the bus station. Wait, so is the 24th, was the 24th a Tuesday? Or was it? It was a Monday. Okay, Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out timeline. Yeah. So the 27th right now is... A Thursday. It's a Thursday. It's Thanksgiving. It's a day after. Oh. Okay, so never mind. I did Google it, and November 26th was a Thursday. Okay. Because Thanksgiving lands on Thursdays. Right. Um... So the investigation now is like, has gone into Friday. Yes. So now it's Friday when they're talking to him, the 27th. So that means the 24th was a Tuesday then when she hung out with that dude from work. Yeah. Dropped him off. Okay, got you. Well, she wasn't hanging out with him. Like they were working together. She dropped him off at the bus station. Yeah. After work. Gotcha. So her coworkers had seen them dancing on a completely different. On a, yeah, completely different occasion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like I was saying, detectives did plan to get security footage for both the ATM and the bus station to just make sure like, okay, you're, you were really there at the time and day that you said you were there. But they still want to press him a little bit more on his relationship with her. um, Just to see if there was an intimate relationship going on between the both of them. And at first he denies it, but then he eventually caves in and he tells them like, you know what, fine, we have been sleeping together for a few months. And we basically see each other at least once a week. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And he also goes on to tell them that either September or October, she actually told him that she was pregnant. And she wasn't really sure if it was his child or Frederick's. Oh, hell no. That Mm -hmm. is my worst nightmare. Yeah. Holy moly. And he told her to get an abortion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hmm. He didn't want a kid? I guess not. How old was he? I have no idea. doesn't say. Hmm. Does he have kids? Or does he have a girlfriend? I couldn't find any information on him. Mm. And honestly, even on the show, a few of the names were changed. Okay. So, which is okay. very annoying. Um, yeah, so I couldn't find anything on him. But based on the show... <laughs> Um, he claims that that, you know, that was the last time he saw her was on that Tuesday Mm. and that's it. They also check his cell phone records and it didn't ping anywhere near her apartment complex. So he was basically cleared. But before they left, he ends up dropping another bomb. He claims that there's another person of interest, that there's this mystery man 
that that she met at the club. Okay. He doesn't give a name because he doesn't have a name, but he just, you know, gives them that information. She really liked going to the club, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 2009, so... She just loved to dance. It must... You know, the music in 2009 was really, really good. Yeah, it was. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There was a bunch of, like, songs. Maybe, like, didn't come out in 2009, but, you know, people were still Dougie, and I Dougie now. Did that come out in 2009? No, I think it came out in, like, 2007. Oh. But 2009 was, like, a really good year for music mm-hmm. that I remember. I mean, her the way her family puts it is, including, like, her aunt and her cousins, is that she really loved to dance, and that's okay. what it was. And I understand. I love to dance, too. Dancing I don't, is fun. I don't be at the clubs anymore, but when I was a teenager, I was at the teen clubs, Okay. You were at the teen clubs. I was I 14, was just partying, okay? And you had us a time. High school dances yep. were lit. Mm-hmm. So as they were looking for this mystery man, a man by the name of Ronald Tipton comes into the police station. So this is not the mystery man, okay? This is just another person. Okay. He states that he's a neighbor and he has some information to share with the police. He claims that he saw Frederick with another man and they were moving a love seat out of the apartment on Thanksgiving Day. Okay. So that would have, I mean, I wonder if he's talking to them on that Friday, the same day that they're talking to um, her coworker. That's mm. unclear, but he knows Frederick to be a really nice guy and someone that really cares about his baby, his daughter. And he was adamant that he doesn't think that Frederick is involved, but he just thought it was weird. So he wanted to provide them with this information. Mm. Detectives are now trying to put two and two together and figure out like who this male is that was helping Frederick move the love seat. And they believe that it was his cousin, Dewan, because he said that he was with his cousin that day on on Thanksgiving day. So they're now trying to track him down and they're able to and he comes into the police station and he tells them that that he did in fact see his cousin frederick at around 8 p.m on thanksgiving day which is interesting because frederick left around 2 p.m so like there's so he's saying he first met up with him at 8 p.m yes Mm -hmm. and the guy saw him saw people carrying out the couch at night yeah okay Mm -hmm. for some reason i thought you were saying it was like early in the day they nope no okay so but you know what on the show i feel like it made it seem like it was during the day so who knows there might be like some sort of just discrepancy in terms of the time he was seen moving this couch and he did say that it was me i was there he claims that frederick said that the reason why he was removing the couch is because milk was spilt on it. So you remove a whole couch? That is what Jarrell's mom said, Tony. She was like, that is so weird. Why would you not try to clean. wipe it off and clean it with soap and water? Spray it down. Right. And she also mentioned that it was a relatively new couch. It wasn't even old. Hmm. His cousin thought it was weird too, but he didn't really think that much of it because... He and Frederick are really, really close. And he said that if something else was going on, Frederick would tell him. If there was more to the story, Frederick would tell him. And okay. Frederick didn't say anything. Another weird factor is that they not only took the couch outside, they actually took the couch a half a mile down the road to another complex and dumped it there. Huh? Mm-hmm. Why? Does their building charge them if there's like huge structures being thrown out? That's a really good question. Um, That was not answered on the show. So you never know. But Dewan really did think that this was weird, um, that they did this. However, he said that Fred was not the smartest guy. And he actually had him named in his phone as Dummy. (laughs) 
<laughs> this was on tape too. Oh my like, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, cousin. Well, damn. So he was just saying, like, you know, I know it's weird, but I'm telling you, Fred did not really think this through. Like, there's nothing to it, is basically what he was saying. <laughs> wow. That's pretty much what he has to offer. But he did say, you know, there was this weird occurrence where Fred was jumped and he was beaten up. He was beaten up and thrown into the back of Jerry L's car. And I was the first person that he called. And I showed up for him and he, he made a report. And I just felt like I had to tell you guys that because that was also a very weird occurrence that happened. Hmm. So detectives are like, okay, like the fact that he's mentioning this too is interesting. Detectives now ask him about anything that he noticed in regards to the relationship. Were there any signs of abuse? Were they good? Were they arguing here and there? And he basically said that, you know, there was one night where Jerry Ellie called Fred and she left him a message that was not meant for him. Oh. And he basically said that Fred was pissed. And when she came home that early that morning, they got into a fight, basically. Well, what did the message say? They did not go into details, but it was clearly a message for another man. So, but how did they know that? Is it because, like, she said the other person's name or was she, like, talking in a way that she normally doesn't talk? I don't know that she mentioned a name per se, See, but that's like, why you gotta call everybody baby. What are you trying to say? <laughs> so no slip ups happen. I've had slip ups where it's like not even on purpose, with like you know you're hanging out with your BF and you accidentally call them like the wrong name. The wrong name. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm pretty sure that has happened to me like back in the day. So. I'm just saying. Just stick oh, to babe. Boy. Baby. Well, she... I don't think she did that because he knew that it was not meant for him. That's what I'm saying. Okay. okay so... Um, man's intuition, I guess. I guess. Um, again, this is unclear when this message was left. They didn't give a date. So I don't know what point in time that happened to now, you know, the fact that she's missing. I don't know. But that's pretty much how their interview went with Dewan. And then they call in Danica Jeriel's cousin. And she talks about the mystery man. Possibly it's the same mystery man that Tehran was mentioning. She said that Jeriel had met someone at the bar by the name of Rico. And that's all she knows. She doesn't have a last name. She doesn't know like his last name is definitely Suave. Hundred (laughs) percent chance. It's possible. Nobody knows this person's name. Is Rico even his name, or is that like his street name? Who knows? Like it could just be like a nickname. It's like his name. His nickname be Rico, and his real name be like Gerald. Probably. (laughs) No, seriously, you never know. I feel like with a name like Rico. It's, that's it's very, a toss-up for me. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So she does give this information, but she said, like, no matter what, Jerry L just wouldn't be the kind of person, the kind of mom to just up and leave her daughter. Mm. She wouldn't do that. She wouldn't run off with someone. She also mentions that Jerry L did, in fact, leave this voicemail accidentally for Frederick. And she said that Frederick was so pissed and waited for her to come home and they got into a physical fight and he basically beat the shit out of Jeriel. Like she had bruises. Yeah, she had bruises on her face. He choked her so badly that like a blood vessel in her eye popped. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yes. As to like when this happened is unclear though. Um, But she did tell her cousin Danica like this was basically the last straw for her and she had plans to break up with Frederick. So does she make a police report? I don't think so. Yeah. I feel like that's very common that people wouldn't make a police report mm-hmm. um, versus like making one. 
Yeah. That sucks, though. Yeah, it's it does. And actually, I found in a local news article, this was not part of the show, that Jerielle's co-workers also reported seeing bruises on her face. Yikes. She must have been so scared. Yeah. Yep, so it's unclear whether she, you know, told this to Frederick that she is planning on leaving him. You know, detectives are wondering, did she tell this to him and he freaked out and, you know, attacked her? Danica also offers information as to what she recalls she saw when she went in through the window on that Thanksgiving day to look for her cousin. Um, She couldn't remember a lot of details, but she was able to tell detectives the one thing that she thought was bizarre. And it was that an area rug from underneath the dining room table was missing. It wasn't underneath the table at all. Okay. Detectives think that that's strange and they are able to get a search warrant to search Jerry L's apartment. And they notice that there is in fact no rug under the dining room table, but there was an area rug in the living room. And they thought that that was very bizarre. And the living room itself is already carpeted, like wall to wall carpet. And Mm. there's just this random area rug. Um, And so when they left the area rug, they noticed that there are spots of bleach where bleach was soaking into the carpet and it smelled very bad. To them, it looks like someone was trying to basically get rid of evidence. Mm. So they immediately send the carpet out for testing to see if there's any DNA that can be retrieved. Detectives are also able to talk to maintenance. who Frederick claimed, you know, they came over November 25th and basically was working on, I think they were replacing, I don't know, they were filtering the AC unit. Oh, replacing the filter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Um, And I'm sorry, you know how Frederick was saying that Jerry L and him were having conversations. She had planned to stay out that night and maintenance was there while the conversation was happening. That never happened. Maintenance actually let themselves into the apartment and neither of them were there. Okay. Hmm. So detectives think that that's also weird. Why would you lie about something like that? Yeah. So he is a dummy. Yeah. This is just like very bizarre things. But like literally I'm saying he's a dummy because like, hello, they're going to ask maintenance and they're going to like either say yes or no. Yeah. So why, you know what I'm saying? It's not like he said he was with his cousin. His cousin could lie for him. It's like just the random maintenance people, they ain't going to lie for you. Right. They are singing like a canary. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So now at this point, Frederick is called in for an interview and he admits to having an altercation with Jerry L. He admits to choking her. Um, that one night with the whole after getting that voicemail Mm. he was very upset that she went off to the club and he was very upset at the idea that she was entertaining other men okay still don't give you the right to put your hands on her right so he said other than that like he didn't do anything to her and he doesn't have anything else to say so detectives are trying to like bait him by saying like you know, like the fact that she is basically the breadwinner, she she goes out, she works hard, and then like she goes out after work, that must make you feel some kind of way. You know, you're the man, but here you are, you're a stay at home dad, and you take care of your daughter. Like, I'm sure like you would be irritated at the fact that she's out having a good time and meeting dudes, but he doesn't break. And he says, like, he doesn't have anything to offer. He maintains his innocence. They really try to use gender roles as yeah. a weapon here. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm actually okay with being a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong yeah. with that. Figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Like, for Gabrielle Union, her and Dwayne Wade, what works for them is splitting bills. Oh, yeah. I saw that today. That's quite... I don't know about that part, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a no for me. I mean, not that it's a no for me, but 
that kind of money. I know. I'm like, y'all, like, y'all are we're not splitting wealthy. bills. Like, why are you, I don't know. When that, yeah. I guess everybody I makes up their own rules is what I'm saying. True. But, yeah, so he's not budging and no charges are filed. So he's let go. Okay. You know? And the case goes cold for four months. Nothing happens. And where's the daughter? They don't say, but I'm assuming the daughter is with her mom, possibly. Okay. Tony. So then on March 2nd, 2010, Baltimore County Police receives a call and they receive this call from Stafford County Sheriff's Office located in Virginia. An animal control officer was looking for a dog on the loose and they stumbled across a body. So this is on the highway. This is off of the I-95. Oh, isn't this I-95 like here and it takes us all the way down to Florida? Yep. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a decomposing body of a black female that this officer found. And it was so badly decomposed that they couldn't identify her, whoever this was initially. They had to base it off of dental records. So what they ended up doing is putting out information of this victim, describing her as a black female, age mid-teens to mid-20s. 5'2", around 110 pounds, black hair, well-manicured fingernails. So things along those lines, like what she was wearing, um, which I believe was like a blue tank top and it looked like black leggings and heart earrings. So they put out that information, um, they posted on March 4th. So they find her on the 2nd, they post this on March 4th. I'm not sure how Virginia County Sheriff's Office is able to now connect the dots and and call Baltimore County Police Office, but I I don't know. Like They probably looked up local missing people within like the vicinity and because DMV or, you know, yes. Because every DC, Maryland, Virginia are so close to each other, they probably just looked up missing persons, saw that she fit the description, and reached out to that police department. Okay. That's what I think. All right. They were doing actual police work. Okay. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I guess that, yeah, that makes sense. Between matching this description as to, like, what she looks like, clothing that she's wearing, dental records... And further testing from medical examiner, this individual was determined to be Jerry L. Foster. Um, and then an autopsy report was conducted and it revealed that she had passed away from a gunshot wound to her neck and to her stomach. So she was murdered. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. And there was also no signs of her being pregnant either. So remember, right. Tehran that. said that she approached him and said that she's pregnant and he basically told her to get an abortion it's possible that she got an abortion okay um so they do then get in touch with tony her mother and they tell her that you know we we would like to speak to you and they have a piece of her jewelry i'm assuming it may have been the earring that i saw and they asked her do you recognize us and she said yes and so I think that's how they basically delivered the news to her that they found her daughter. Um, she said that she was both relieved that they found her, but she was obviously heartbroken mm. that she was found murdered. Right. On March 15th, 2010, detectives feel that they have enough to arrest Frederick Christian, and they do. So, mind you, they do have Jerry L's body, but they never found a murder weapon. Right. However, there was just a lot of circumstantial evidence from the area rug being soaked in bleach. Well, not even the area rug. It was literally the carpet itself covered by the area rug. Right. Um, And actually, what was retrieved from that was little to nothing. They were not able to get DNA from it. Okay. They were only able to determine that it was blood, but they couldn't determine that it was her blood. Okay. Um, another thing with the couch, 
they could never find the couch because by the time he, I guess him dumping it and them figuring out that, oh, there was a couch and he dumped it here, it had already been picked up and trashed. What if somebody actually picked it up and brought it in their house and cleaned it? I really hope that was not the case. <laughs> right. I don't know. Because people do that all the time. Their assumption is that she was killed either on the couch or near it. And like her oh, body wow. fell onto the couch. Oh. Um, and where she was hit on her neck, I think like whatever blood vessel hit, like she was bleeding a lot. Okay. So that's what they think as to why he moved the couch from the house entirely. But they do think that he cleaned it off before throwing it out because then that would look very weird and be too obvious. So he's not a dummy. Yeah. I guess he is a dummy for if he's the one that really killed her, but cleaning the couch before throwing it out. Yeah. Kind of. Maybe his cousin needs to change his name and his phone to like something else. Mm hmm. Like sometimes a dummy. Mm hmm. I agree. So this case moves pretty quickly. Um, in April of 2011, the case does go to trial. And prosecution's theory is that Frederick was tired of Jerry L going out all the time. And when she got home on the 25th, so that would have been a Wednesday, he confronted her and shot her twice. So once in the neck and once in the stomach. So... Keep in mind, like, the murder weapon was never found, but... Does he own a gun? Did they ever... They never went into those details. It's possible, but I... Mm. Honestly, I couldn't find any court documents for this case. Hmm. Unfortunately. So after he had murdered her, he drove to Stanford County, Virginia, dropping her at the side of the road on I-95. Wait, I never looked up how far it is from where they live. Let me... I-95. Well, specifically Stanford. where he... Yeah. Let me look. Did they find DNA in her car? That suggests, like, her body or something? That's a good question. Um, because, I mean... It's possible, but they never said anything about it. Well, the prosecution is speaking... The prosecution is using... Declarative, isn't it? Declarative statements also. Remember declarative from back in the days, like declarative, imperative. No. <laughs> this is about eighty-three yes. miles from Stafford to Coxville. Mm-hmm. So wait, the prosecution is using declarative statements to say that he drove how many miles was it? Approximately 83 miles. 83 miles, but they don't have any DNA in the car? Like... It's possible that there was DNA in the car. It's just it was never brought up on the show. And okay. there were no court documents that I found. Okay. Okay. So, so, yeah, that was her theory that he dropped her off there. And then he returned to the apartment. And that's when he started to try to clean. All while, like, their daughter was there. I wonder, like... You know, it makes me wonder, did he bring their daughter along for the ride as he dumped her body off? Mm. Or he just left her sleeping? Like, I don't know. I don't know. That's just, I don't know. It's just so crazy to me. I wouldn't be surprised if it was either or, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And then he got his cousin the very next day on Thanksgiving Day to help him move the couch. Is the jury buying this? I don't think so. And I'm pretty sure he also, like, testified at trial. I found that in um, a news article published by, like, Potomac Local News. And it said that Frederick told the jury that Jerry L went missing. So I'm assuming, like, he testified. Um, And he also went on to say that he didn't know why he poured bleach on the carpets in the home or removed the love seat from the living room. So it's just very bizarre. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the jury was not buying it. And they found him guilty of first degree murder. And he receives a life in prison sentence without the possibility of parole. Does her family think he did it? I think initially they didn't believe it based on the show. Like the way that he just seems so family oriented, like 
very a very much like a great father and they just didn't think that he had it in him to do this and everyone was seeing that like the neighbor was saying like oh he would never hurt jerry and his cousin, his cousin was like he would never do dummy. yeah he would never do that and even her family kind of knew that felt that too um Danica, I think she obviously knew things about the domestic violence happening. Right. So, like, her position on it was obviously a little different. But I don't yeah. know to what extent her other family members knew about the dynamic of their relationship. Did they ever find Rico Suave? I don't think so. Hmm. And did they determine that she did go to work? So they actually determined that she did not go to work. On Thanksgiving. Yeah. Even though she was supposed to work. Even Yes, she was supposed to work. She was on the schedule. Okay, mm-hmm. but she just didn't show she up. She didn't show up. Huh. And that was something that her co-workers also said that she did not, when they were being interviewed by detectives, that she did not show up to work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he still says he's innocent. Yeah, he still maintains his innocence and he never said sorry or anything. That's what her cousin said. So her family was at the trial. They were there every single day. And I think that they were expecting him to just say anything. Right. Um, Like for the sake of like the daughter that they share together. Like, you know, and he just never did. I don't know why I was waiting for there to be a twist because you said it was going to be like last week's episode and there was a twist coming. No, I never said that. I just said like, how I don't know. Did I y'all like, think that she said that? Because I thought that's what she meant. No, I just said, you know, these episodes find me. These stories find me, is what I'm saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Still, I just can't. It's just, anytime we have a case where there is so much circumstantial evidence, it's hard for me to really be able to, like, kind of close the book on it mm-hmm. completely. You know, like... yeah. I like to deal in certainty. So, yeah, it gets a little tricky for me. I do, too. I just think that he had a lot of motive. Yes, and it was more um, probable than not. Mm-hmm. He did. I mean, he was jealous. I mean, I guess, understandably, in a sense of, like, she's out. But I don't know, like, if he goes out, too. Like, I right. I wish I knew more about their relationship. Right. Because um, the way it seems is, like, he's just somebody who stays at home all the time and she's having a great time. Right. And right. it's, like, it could be that he's having a great time, too, when she right. comes home. And that's the part that bothers me because I was, like, this, the way that they're p- portraying her side of the story, it just felt like I wasn't getting a full picture of their relationship. I felt like there was more to it. Right. Hmm. Was that the only time he had been violent with her? Not obviously the murder, but before that, I mean. Um, When he, with the voicemail thing. Did her cousin mention anything else? The cousin didn't mention anything else, but the cousin did say, you know, at the end of the episode that if you see something, say something. Right. Um, Because you can save a life in doing that. Right. Um, Yeah, and as far as her mother, Tony... Um, she did mention that time does heal pain Mm. and she definitely went on to have another daughter. So at some point. Her mom? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So like maybe her mom was really young when she had her. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. Um, and she said that her daughter reminds her so much of Jerry L. Looks like her and everything acts like her. Oh my goodness. Um, and I think that keeps her going and gives her a sense of peace. I don't know. Yeah, but I can imagine that, like, she must be very protective of the daughter. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing a case like that where it's like, I got to look it up, but I'm pretty sure there was a case where, like, the parents, like, lost one kid, like, they were kidnapped or something and murdered. Mm -hmm. And then they were really protective with the second kid. Actually, I remember where I saw it. It was on an episode of Intervention. So, yeah, I know it's so (laughs) random. It just came to me. But like she was now a drug addict and she just said her the pressure she felt from her parents to be just like her sister who was murdered and kidnapped at such a young age. Like her sister that happened to her sister when the sister was like eight or ten, something like that. 
Wow. Yeah. So now she was just like telling the story. So yeah, I was there trying to watch like an intervention episode because intervention is just like wild, honestly. And then it turned into like this true crime thing. So she said it was just like a lot of pressure from her mom and dad to be just like her sister who had died. Huh. Yeah. Because I think she was either born after the murder happened. Oh, okay. I kind of remember. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. And so it's either she was born after i'm pretty sure that's what it was or she was very young but i'm pretty sure she was born after yeah so i'm just saying like it might you know could create this interesting dynamic for the child Mm -hmm. where it's like you have to live up to the potential Mm -hmm. of your sibling or be just like them yeah so i'd be interested to like hear how that what that's like Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know yeah, so that's all I have for this week. I wish I had more information. I was looking up to see if there's any Court of Appeals documents. I didn't find anything. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's just really sad. She's so young and just, like, yeah. living her life, working hard, being a mom, mm-hmm. being a human being. Yeah. And then just that's it jealousy is, is like wild jealousy makes you do crazy things like yeah, and now he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison and when when the trial happened he was 31 so he has the rest of his life to think about what he did he should have gotten a grip on himself because it's like yes jealousy it can like take over you or whatever mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like you have to think like okay there's more to life yeah this is the mother of my kid mm-hmm. and you know you might not want to be in that situation anymore but there's a way to do it like just leave you know what i'm saying instead of like killing somebody because yeah. now like their daughter has nobody mm-hmm. no actual parent like you essentially made your daughter an orphan yeah by taking matters into your own hands exactly but yeah, that's the case of Jeriel Foster. And with that, we'll see you guys next week for another new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. And maybe I'll host. TBD.